Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Today's teaching comes from Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, and livestock, along with a freewill offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. So the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone whose spirit God had roused, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. All their neighbors supported them with silver articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a free will offering. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and had placed in the house of his gods. King Cyrus of Persia had them brought out under the supervision of Mithridath the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. 30 gold basins, 1,000 silver basins, 29 silver knives, 30 gold bowls, 410 various silver bowls, and 1,000 other articles. The gold and silver articles totaled 5,400. Sheshbazar brought all of them when the exiles went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, a little feedback there. <laughs> Is that better? Okay. Uh, so we are in Ezra chapter 1 this morning, and I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a preview. Uh, this is what we call a scripture notebook, and uh, we got a couple of these. Um, basically what happens is they have taken the CSB Bible, and they've taken uh, each book of the Bible, and they print the scripture on one side, and then they have note pages on the other side. Um, I thought, well, this might be good. Some people like to take notes, and instead of taking notes uh, on individual pages or in a notebook, sometimes it's nice to have the the actual scriptures right there with you, but you don't have room in your Bible. Uh, So if you wanted to get one of these, uh, there's a couple of them available. They'll be at the Connect Center. They're $6 each. Um, We've only got a couple of them. I didn't know how many people would want uh, to, to get one. And if I need to move back, I can move a little further back. <laughs> uh, but they'll be at the Connect Center. So if you want to get one, go ahead and grab one. Uh, like I said, they're $6 each. Uh, we can order more. Um, you can also get them online. You can get them at the Faith Bookstore. Um, or we can order uh, some in bulk for you. So go ahead and, and get those out. So, 
All right, uh, chapter one of Ezra. So last week, Parker kind of gave us a good overview of where we're going uh, in, in Ezra. Uh, and I'm going to dive into uh, the first chapter here. Uh, so let's read here uh, right at the beginning. It says, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, uh, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, and we're going to stop right there. It, there's a ton in this very first verse. Um, but, but let's take a little bit about Jeremiah, okay? Because what we're seeing here is in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are at the end of what we would think of as kind of our Old Testament books. It's not laid out that way in our Bible. So here, Ezra's quoting, or, or in the book of, of Ezra, it's being quoted the book of Jeremiah, okay? So when you think about the Old Testament, Sometimes in our mind, we would like this very nice chronological order that we can just follow along with and say, okay, well, we go from here to here to here to here. And it's not laid out that way, okay? The Bible is one big story. It's very intertwined. We've got, when you think about kind of how this is laid out, we've got Ezra and Nehemiah. Then all of a sudden, you know, you jump ahead and you've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, you've got um, Song of Songs, you've got... Um, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, right? So now all of a sudden, you, we're, we're kind of jumping back. And when you think about some of these other things, they're jumping all over. Uh, funny story, in our small group on uh, two weeks ago, when we were kind of doing our overview of, of Ezra and Nehemiah, we get all done, we've kind of covered everything that we're going to cover, and like an idiot, I asked this very broad, open question, so does anybody have any other questions? And my wife says, I do. <laughs> She's like, is Daniel still alive at this point? <laughs> and I said, that's a great question. I have no idea. But as a good consultant, let me get the good answer for you. I'll get back to you on that. So we sit there, we laugh about that and, and start digging in. We start finding out, actually, Daniel is still alive at this point. Because in Daniel 10, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, here we are in the first year of Cyrus. Okay? So we know that Daniel is still alive. So again, it's just showing that we have this very overarching um, responsibility, or I mean, a very overarching story that goes back and forth with the Bible. Okay? And it's a very whole story that is not broken up, and it points us directly to Jesus. Okay? So that's the beauty of, of what we're finding here, is that we've got this much bigger story, and Ezra is going to help us dive into that story. Remember last week, Parker talked a little bit about kind of the arc of this story. It kind of starts out with lots of, of jubilee and lots of excitement, and all of a sudden, they kind of get to this peak, and then, boom, they start to crash, and it's kind of in failure. They don't do everything that they were hoping that they are going to set out to do. And so we're going to talk through kind of, you know, what does that look like. So let's go back. So we're in the first year of King Cyrus, okay? Now, this does not mean that this is the first year that Cyrus has been king. This is the first year Cyrus has been king over Babylon, Cyrus has actually been king for about a decade or more of the Persian Empire. And he's had quite a bit of success at this point of working through conquering other countries, other nations, other kingdoms. Okay? So it's important to see that this is a process that Cyrus is in. Okay? And, and so again, while he is, is uh, king of Babylon or, or ruling Babylon this first year, this is the first year of his rule in Babylon, not the first year of his entire rule. Okay? Um, 
the second part of this is as we then go through that, and it talks about um, the word spoken through Jeremiah, we go into what is this word that's actually being spoken. And it's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. Okay? It says, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. So God had a plan for his people. Okay? This has been 70 years in the making. This particular part of God's plan has been 70 years. They've been in captivity. They've been under enslavement. They've been dispersed. They've been scattered from their homeland. And now God is bringing them back exactly as he said. The beauty of this is that we see throughout the scripture, we see throughout Bible, we see throughout this story, God is continuing to take care of his people. Now, back then, that would be the Israelites. That would be the nation of Israel. Today, that's you and me. It's certainly the Israelites and, and that family and the Jews as well, but it's us as Gentiles. It's us believers. So we are God's people, right? But what it shows us is that there's this constant aim of God to take care of his people. He has a plan. He has an opportunity, and, or he shows opportunity after opportunity where he could maybe not keep his promises, that he does every single time. He makes a promise, he keeps it. Makes a promise, he keeps it. Makes a promise, he keeps it. So as we move through this Old Testament study, we move into the gospel, we see and we hear about Jesus, okay, and how he's fulfilling these promises. We hear about how Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who is going to save us from our sin. We can see that promise over and over and over again. So we have true hope that when we get into this beautiful picture of who Jesus is, we can see that and we can know from all the way back in these Old Testament stories and all of these Old Testament prophecies that were time and time again shown to be held true because God's character doesn't change. He's got a plan for his people. He's got a plan for salvation. He's got a plan for how he's going to bring his people back to him. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. So as we continue then uh, in verse 1, it says, The Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. <clears throat> now, this is interesting, okay? Because he's saying, I've roused or, or God roused his spirit. Okay? So here we have God using a king, a foreign emperor, a foreign king, who does not believe in who he is, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Cyrus and his beliefs in a minute, but he is not a believer in God, okay? Not a true believer, at least. So God is using somebody that is not one of his chosen people, who doesn't even believe in him, to fulfill his plan. Again, it's a great story. It's a great picture, a visual of how God is in complete control. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my hearing aids out. I don't know if that's creating. So what we have is this beautiful picture of Cyrus being used by God, okay? God rousing his spirits 
and saying, let's work through this and see what does that look like, okay? So it says, uh, t- he, so he uh, roused the spirit of God, or uh, roused the spirit of, of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom uh, and to put it in writing, <clears throat> okay? So again, when we, when we talk about this, this isn't just God's putting this in, in motion, okay? And King Cyrus is going to say something, but then there's some freedom to move way back out of that, okay? In the Persian Empire at this time, when you put something in writing, it's actually set in stone. The king can't even himself change that, okay? So there's not an opportunity even for Cyrus to say, well, I I know that's what I meant, you know, but six months later, I'm not sure I'm really going to go out and go through with that, okay? So this is an opportunity for, for him to say, no, this is it. Okay, what you have is what we have here today. So let's look at what that cylinder actually would look like. Okay, again, this was written in stone. It would have been chiseled in stone. And this is the actual cylinder of Cyrus that is in a British museum. Okay? And you can see it's a big stone cylinder and they actually chiseled this decree. So the decree that we are talking about here, this biblical story, there is historical evidence for this. This is not something that somebody just made up, okay? One of the things that people often say about the Bible is, well, it's a great story. Yes, it is a great story, but it's a true story. It's a historical book. It's a historical story. There's proof that these things happened, and here's what it is. So this is what God roused his spirit to do. God roused his spirit, and again, he's been in power for a decade, okay? This has been 70 years in the making, Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel, right? Scattered them, pushed them out, destroyed the temple, okay? And then about 60 years after that, he destroys Babylon, doesn't destroy it, but he topples Babylon with the king of Persia, King Cyrus, okay? So now all of a sudden, we've seen God rousing Cyrus' spirit. This is something that we've seen God moving and moving and moving, and it's a big, long story. And he's using different people. We're going to say he's going to use other people to do this story as well. So let's look at verses uh, 2 through 4, because that's really kind of what was talked about in this, uh, uh, what, what this edict really was. It says, this is what... King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, and livestock, along with freewill offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. Now, at first glance, at first blush, this looks like this dude is totally in line with God, right? That man, he is, he is worshiping God and he is doing all of these things. I mean, that's what he says. He's like, I'm, I am humbly serving God, right? That's kind of what he's saying here. Couldn't be further from the truth. He's a polytheist, okay? He's a calculated leader. This is something that is different with the Persian Empire than some of the other empires that were out there. So Cyrus is seeing this, and he's like, you know what? 
maybe there's multiple gods, and I'm going to cover my bases, and I'm going to kind of play nice with lots of them, okay? Primarily, his god would have been Marduk, okay? Uh, but because some of his charges, some of the people that he oversaw, some of the people that he was ruling over, believed in Yahweh, our God, he's like, oh, I believe kind of some in that too, and I'll play nice with them. Again, this was calculated, okay? In many of the empires around this time, it was total destruction, trying to break your will when we come in and conquer you. And the Persian Empire said, hey, wait a minute. Especially Cyrus, he was the one that really started to push this, said, maybe we would get more compliant people if we gave them some of their freedom, if we gave them some of their culture back, and let them have a little bit of who they are, and let them worship their gods, and then all of a sudden, it makes it a little bit easier for us. So this was not necessarily in, in Cyrus's mind what he was doing to appease God more than, hey, I'm trying to uh, appease the people so that they're easier to manage. And oh, by the way, we can still tax them. Okay? So while God is absolutely rousing his spirit, God is absolutely moving him, God is absolutely telling him to do these things, in his mind, that's not all that he was doing. He wasn't doing it just to be a faithful follower of God. He's like, well, that's kind of a good idea. Maybe that came from him. Maybe I'll do these things. So as we look uh, you know, a little bit deeper there, it says, um, uh, this is what uh, he says, Lord of God of heavens has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me. Okay? In some translations, that would be commanded okay? uh, or charged me. So again, He's acknowledging, he's making it sound good, like, well, God has told me to do these things. He has given me the power, and so, therefore, I am going to do it. So, again, he's saying the right words. He's showing humble submission, right? Or at least he's portraying humble submission to God. But we know that that's not his heart. He's not actually wanting to do that for those reasons, okay? So one of the things that you also have to look at here is how this looks different, okay? Because through this, what we're seeing is kind of a new exodus, right? Think back to the first exodus. We had King Pharaoh in Egypt, right? And so they've got everybody enslaved. All the Israelites are enslaved. They're beating them down. They're treated like dogs, worse than dogs, okay? And in order for them to be let go, God has to bring destruction on Egypt, he brings the plagues on Egypt until finally Pharaoh says, get out, leave, go. And the Israelites say, okay, that's great, we'll leave, but can we take this with us? Can we take livestock with us? Uh, we're going to need food. We're going to need money to get where we're going. And Pharaoh says, fine, give it, give it, give it, go, just leave. And as soon as they get outside the, the, the gates, as soon as they're on the road, Pharaoh says, what the heck was I thinking? Well, let's go chase them. We're going to go bring them back into submission. And he goes and chases them, okay? Now, all of a sudden, you've got another exodus, okay? Kind of a new exodus. And you've got King Cyrus saying, hey, go back to your homeland. Go back. We're going to bless you. We're going to take your, uh, we're going to give you food. We're going to give you livestock. We're going to give you gold and silver. I'm even going to take the things that Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple and I'm going to give them to you so you can go rebuild your temple. And we're going to give you additional gold and silver. And while you're getting there, all of the people of the kingdom that you meet along the way should be giving you free will offerings. They should be helping you with all of this. It is a very different picture 
from the first Exodus with one big difference. At the end of the first Exodus, Israel is restored as a nation, as an independent nation. At the end of this Exodus, they are still ruled by the Persian Empire. So while they were free before, they are somewhat free today. So when you're looking at this, you're looking at what God is doing and saying, why would God take them and, and, and move them back and let them rebuild the temple, but not make them an individual, independent nation again? Question, it's a great question. I don't know that we know that. There's information as we go through Ezra that's going to help us understand more of God's plan. Okay? But for us to stand here and say, well, I know exactly why God was doing that, that's pretty arrogant. And, and we can't do that. We can't say that. All we know is that this looks different. This looks different than what it had been in the past. Okay? One of the other differences <clears throat> is that when we see what's happening here, we look then in, in chapter, I mean, in verse five, and it says, so the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone who God uh, had roused, everyone whose spirit God had roused, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. There's that word roused again, okay? It's used twice in this first five verses. First, it's talked about with King Cyrus and how God roused his spirit. And now he's rousing the spirit of some of the Israelites, some of the people that he's wanting to go back and rebuild the temple. And this is a big, important point. Okay? Before, you had all of the Israelites getting kicked out of Egypt, being pushed out. Okay? Now we've got a group of people who are going back. They go back in waves. Okay? So God here roused their spirit. He's talking to them. He's calling some people to be a part of his plan at this time. He's calling some people to stay and be a part of his plan at a later time. Right? And so what this looks like is God changing our hearts and moving in our heart to do things as he wills. Okay? And being a, a, a being a part of his plan is what we as his people are to do. Okay? So when you think about all of that, <clears throat> you've got this group of people, and interestingly enough, Ezra and Nehemiah's families are not in this first wave of people to go back to Jerusalem, go back to Judah. They're not in that first wave. So here, they're going to be raised in Babylon with God-fearing parents to be used at a later time. So for us, sometimes that can be encouraging to say, I'm here for a particular purpose and a particular reason. I don't necessarily know why, but God didn't use me in that same way. One of the things that we as believers can get really caught up in is comparing ourselves to everybody else around us. Well, they're serving God in that way, and I'm such a failure because I'm not doing what God's, what, what God's calling me to do. Really? Was God calling you to do that? Was God calling them to do that? It's awesome that God's calling them to do that. He's using that person in that way. But he's not necessarily calling you that, calling you to do that. Give yourself that freedom to say, if I'm listening to God, if I feel like I am in God's will for my life at this time, I'm good. And I don't have to compare myself to what somebody else is doing. 
They might have different gifts. They might have different timing. They might have different failures. God's got a plan for each and every one of us, and it's beautiful to see how this all works together, okay? So as we look through this, I, I want to ask you kind of, you know, some questions, okay? Clearly, there's a 70-year period here where God is moving to get his plan accomplished. At the end of what is this time, okay, there's 400 years of silence, okay? So remember, we've got 70 years of, of Israelites thinking, man, we're in captivity. Um, they know the promises of Jeremiah. They, they, they believe, at least some of them believe that they will be rescued after 70 years. But then there's going to be 400 years of silence. So you've got this big, huge, long plan. You've got this movement of what's happening and what's going on during this time. So my question for you is, do you know where you are in God's plan? Okay. How do you listen? How, when was the last time you felt God rousing your spirit? When was the last time you were listening and said, I feel like God is calling me to do something? I feel like God is calling me to, to be in a specific place at a specific time. Okay? Now, remember, God roused the spirit of Cyrus at a specific time, but he spent 10, 12 years preparing him for that moment. That didn't just happen Okay? He made him king first. He made him powerful enough to conquer multiple nations, made him powerful enough that when he conquered Babylon, there was almost no resistance. So are you ready? Are you listening? Are you a part of knowing God's plan is long? It is way longer than we can imagine. It's way longer than our life. Okay? So are you listening to God's spirit rousing in you? Are you thinking, God, how am I a part of your plan? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes it's difficult because you want to see the whole plan. Okay? I'm a type A personality. I'm a planner and I'm a big strategic thinker and I like to know it all and see everything and what pieces are making what pieces move. And when I don't see all of that, that is very difficult for me. Okay? That's just my personality. And sometimes it's really hard to say, I'm doing what God told me to do today. And I don't know what that means about tomorrow. I don't know how this fits into the bigger picture. All I know is God's calling me to do this today. Sometimes you have to live in what's going on in my world today. What is God calling me to do tomorrow? You may be fortunate enough that he gives you visibility into where he's going with that. And that's great. And sometimes he does that. Sometimes he speaks to you clearly and says, here's, where I, here's the path, the trajectory I have for your life. And I'm going to put you on this path, and here's the things that I want you to do. Other times you're like, I have no idea what's going on with this. All I know is I'm being obedient to God right now. Okay? So when was the last time God roused your spirit? When was the last time you felt like, man, God is just doing something in me? I can feel it. I can feel it in my gut. And then if you're not feeling that, or if you are feeling that, how often are you doing that? And is it because you're actively listening? Okay? So you can't just kind of roam around and expect that you're going to figure stuff out or that people are going to 
tell you, hey, this is what's happening, okay? Uh, I think every one of us here was a child at some point. I don't think any of us skipped that stage in life, okay? So I think it's safe to say that we probably all remember times our parents yelling our names, telling us to do something, and we probably were just like completely clueless, okay? Some of us are parents and you're going through this with your own children right now, or you were parents and you remember going through this with your children, okay? Um, I played football, I played football growing up, and coach always beat into us, pay attention to the game, don't be waving to your friends, your mom and dad up in the stands. Be paying attention to the game and be looking at me because when I call your number, I need you in, okay? You got to be engaged. You got to be ready. You got to say, coach, put me in. I'm here. You got to do that with God. You say, God, I'm here. I'm in, I'm in concert with you. I know what's happening. I've got my eyes on you, coach. Just put me in. God, put me in. I know, I know what we're supposed to be doing, Okay? If you're not in, in touch with him, if you're not doing the things that you need to be actively listening, you're going to miss some of those opportunities. Do not be the one that God has to constantly chase down and say, are you ready to get in the game? Are you ready to do what I've asked you to do? Be the one who says, God, I'm ready. I'm here right now. What's next? What can I do? Okay. So, how do you look at that then and say, okay, God's rousing in my spirit. I feel something. I heard him call me. But then do you resist him? Do you say, hmm, uh, God, I know exactly what you're asking. And I'm not sure I'm quite the right person for that. Um, I'm, I'm, and maybe I'm not the best public speaker. Moses and Aaron, anybody? Remember that story? Okay. Um, but maybe, uh, maybe if you put somebody else in, you know, I could come in after that. Or you say, Lord, I am so busy. Like, I don't know how I'm going to fit this into my schedule. Right? Uh, when our kids were growing up, we had a list of rules. It was like, I think there were six of them called the Zoo Crew Rules. Um, and it was posted in the bathrooms on the mirrors for our kids when they were younger so that every time they went into the bathroom, they saw kind of these six rules that kind of defined how we would live out our Christian faith in our family um, and what kind of defined us. And one of those rules was obey the first time every time. That's a hard one to do, even as adults, okay? Uh, I can be asked to do things and I'm like... Uh, yeah, okay, sure, maybe I, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Maybe, maybe I'll wait and see if somebody else does it first, and then you know, we'll see what happens. Taking the dog out is a great example. I hate taking the dog out. I never want to take the dog out, and so I always wait to see if somebody else will take the dog out. And I always ask everybody else, hey, did you take the dog out? And no, I didn't take the dog out, right? Well, that same thing is applying in our lives here, okay? God calls you to do something. Are you the first one to say yes? I will do what you ask me to do. Right here, right now, no questions asked. Or do you come up with some excuse? Do you resist that? Now, maybe you get there. Maybe you become obedient. And maybe you're like, okay, God, I'll do it. Okay? Or even if you're like, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying, Lord, I'll, I'll do it. Was there any resistance up front? Or were you listening? Were, were you roused? And were you saying, God, I am all in. I am ready to go right here, right now. And I will do this. I don't need to understand what's happening, what's going on, okay? 
I don't need to understand your grand plan. I don't need to understand all of these things. But because you asked, you called, you told me to do this, I am ready and I am willing and I am ready to go right here, right now. At what point in your life do you get to that point where you say, I am all in. I am listening actively. I'm feeling that burning in my spirit. I'm feeling that in my gut. God is just moving me to do this. And do you actively pursue him and obey first time, every time? I'll be honest with you, I don't do it all the time. It's hard, okay? It is hard to, to have that posture. It's hard to be in a position where you're like, I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. We are rebellious people. It's in our nature, especially we Americans. We Americans are like, I'm independent. That's, that's who we are as a people. To different degrees, I think each of us probably feels that to some, to some point. But to God, we have to be completely submissive. We have to be loving and ready and willing to be used by him in this plan because he's had a plan from the beginning and it is continuing, okay? Think about orchestra. He composed the score. He's composed this entire beautiful musical piece that has different intros. It's got different, different groups coming in and out and it's just, it's beautiful and he's conducting it all. And we are one small piece in that, but we are a critical piece. And he wants us to, to play a role in that. He wants us to be a critical piece of that. Okay. So just think about for, an in, for a minute, again, who God used in this story. He used his people, his chosen people, right? But he also used this horrible heathen king that was a conqueror who didn't even believe in him. So if God can use King Cyrus to accomplish his plan, he can use you to accomplish his plan. And he wants to. And you should want to be a part of that. You should want to be a part of what God is doing in the world today. Are you always gonna understand exactly how that fits in? No. Is it sometimes gonna feel like, man, this thing that I'm doing right now doesn't make a bit of difference. It's so insignificant. There is nothing insignificant in God's plan. Absolutely nothing in his plan is insignificant. So if he asks you to play a role, that is a significant part of his plan because he's tasked you with doing it. He knows you individually. He knows every hair on your head. He knew you before you were born. He's known every single person to walk this earth since the beginning of time, and he will know until the day he returns. Nothing is insignificant in God's eyes. So the role that God asks you to play, be ready, be willing, be obedient, and say, God, I'm here. I'm a, I'm, I want to be a part of your plan. We see here, and we're going to see throughout this, there's kind of these three waves of people being obedient to God. It doesn't end up exactly how they think it's going to, and that's okay. God's plan was different than what man thought it was going to be, and just like our thoughts of what God's plan is going to be probably don't match what they actually are, okay? So don't get so hung up in thinking about all of the things that God could be doing or should be doing. Think about the things that he's calling you to do. 
and how that fits into what he's called for your life in this time, in this place. Be thankful if he gives you the bigger picture. Be thankful if, if he gives you some path, okay? But also don't resist if he just says, just be obedient and go do this thing for me today. And know that that thing is significant. That thing is important and he's calling you to be a part of that. The beautiful thing about this is again, it's all about his plan. And his plan ultimately, in the Old Testament points to his plan for the new covenant for Christ to come and save us from our sin. These folks here, the Israelites at this time, they're chasing the law. They're chasing, 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 trying to be as good as they can, trying to find a way to get back to God. And they look at this and they say, man, the opportunity to get back and have a temple again where we can be doing our sacrifices and worshiping him, that's great. They loved it. We have the opportunity to look at this 2,000 years later and say, yeah, that, that's fine, and, and that's what God had planned at that point, but that wasn't the end. That was just so we could get to Jesus. And it's a beautiful story, and as we go through Ezra, as we continue down this series, we're gonna see time and time again how the Old Testament is consistently pointing to Jesus. It's consistently pointing to that plan that God has for reconciling his people, which is all of us, to him. And it's a beautiful plan, it's a beautiful story. We get to be a part of it, and we get to experience it, and we get to experience the love and the salvation from that. So just think about that. Think about how wonderful it is that God has this big plan, that you get to be a part of it, but you have to choose to do that and be a willing participant. Be somebody who is saying, God, I'm here, I'm ready. I'm 100% I'm, I'm ready to be a part of your plan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have this wonderful plan for us. Father, we thank you that you are an amazing God who has this, this huge ability to see all and to direct everything. Father, from the beginning, you knew who your people were. You knew who they were going to be. Father, we're thankful for this beautiful story that we have of, of you using all sorts of people to accomplish your goal. At this particular time, it's for one unique purpose, but Lord, we know that ultimately it's for how we are a part of everything that you wanna do. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. And Lord, as we move into this time of communion, I just pray that we would bear our hearts to you. Father, that we would open our lives. Father, that we would be ready and willing to confess our sin and confess the things that we need to so that we can get right with you. Lord, I pray that as we uh, prepare our hearts, Lord, that we would just be in a state of active listening, and that we would be ready to be roused by you for your will, for your purposes. Father, we thank you, we love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.